Welcome to the You Can Tell the Children podcast, a place where sharing God's word with the next generation in your circle of influence can be simple, easy, and fun. We know that intentionally teaching children about God and the relevancy of his word will be a game changer in their homes, schools, and communities. This podcast is a ministry of Bible to School, experts in engaging children with the word of God. Together, we will make sure that you can tell the children about the love of Jesus. Ready, set, let's go. Welcome back to the You Can Tell the Children podcast, a ministry of Bible to School. I'm your host, Meredith Steidler, and this is episode 128. I am super excited to bring you Corey's conversation with Ken Ham today. Ken is the founder of Answers in Genesis, which is an apologetics organization founded on the words from 1 Peter 3.15 that tells us to be ready to give an answer for what we believe. You may know Ken from his famous debates with Bill Nye the Science Guy, or possibly you visited one of his two parks, the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter. Both amazing. So regardless of whether you have or have not heard of Ken, you are in for a treat as he speaks to the difference between teaching children how to think instead of what to think, and the importance of starting our thinking from God's word, not man's. Laying this foundation is what brings hope that we can grow a generation that will stand firm on a biblical worldview. If you love this episode and the content we bring you each week, would you be so kind as to share this podcast with a friend? Sharing is caring, and it's an easy way to get word out about Bible to school. Do you know anyone who wishes their child or grandchild could learn about God's word during their public school day? Please pass along our website, bible2school.com. That's bible, the number two, school.com. Before heading out today, be sure to go to our show notes because I'm linking some awesome resources you won't want to miss, courtesy of Answers in Genesis. Are you ready to hear how to build up a next generation of people who will stand firm on a biblical worldview? Listen to Corey and Ken's conversation now. Welcome, Ken, to You Can Tell the Children. We are so excited to have you today. Oh, thanks, Corey. I love to talk about this topic. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Ken is the co-founder of Answers in Genesis. And I'd love for you to share what is Answers in Genesis and why did you found this organization, Ken? Because there's a big Noah's Ark going on near you. So tell us about that, too. Well, Answers in Genesis is an apologetics organization. Now, some people get confused by the word apologetics. It doesn't mean to apologize for your faith. It comes from 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense uh, or to give reasons or to give answers. And the Greek word translated defense or answer is a Greek word apologia. And that's where we get a word apologetics from. It means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. So you know, a big emphasis of our ministry is that we are equipping people to defend the Christian faith against the secular attacks of our day that undermine the authority of the Word of God. And so that's a big part of our ministry. And of course, we're a very evangelistic ministry. So what we're on about is telling people, well, the Bible's true. The history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. And then we have today many people saying, but the Bible's not true because of this reason or that reason, and we're equipping people with a defense of the faith. And also, as as part of that, is to really remind Christians that Genesis 1 to 11 
is the foundation for everything. It's a foundation yes. for your worldview, for all your doctrine, for the rest of the Bible, for everything. And Genesis 1 to 11 has come under real attacks, vehement attacks in our time. And so that's why we have a specialty in giving answers to those attacks on Genesis 1 to 11, which is the foundation for all doctrine. So if you're going to deal with marriage or you want to talk about sanctity of life or deal with gender or death and suffering, it doesn't matter what it is, you've got to start with Genesis 1 to 11. And so that's a big part of our ministry, as well as the ministry itself. And we produce all sorts of books and videos. We have our own streaming platform, Answers.tv. We have uh, speaking outreaches domestically and internationally. We also built the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. And so they, in a unique way, uh, using exhibits, planetarium, special effects theatre, virtual reality, zoos, animal programs, uh, you know, uh, lectures and so on, we answer those questions and actually teach people the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. The Creation Museum is like a walk through the whole Bible. The yes. Ark Encounter is a life-size ark, so it's uh, one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, and it stands 15 feet off the ground, and so 10 stories high at the bow end, and three decks filled with exhibits answering all these questions, pointing people to the true history in the Bible. And outside we have a zoo and we do live animal programs as well. We also have a carousel and a virtual reality ride, and we have a conference center there. So these two attractions are the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. And we also have our own Christian school called Answers Academy, which is a discipleship school. So we teach true biblical worldview and help parents disciple their children so we don't just let anybody in. We we have a very strong gatekeeper as to who we let into that school because we want parents to be intentional about mm -hmm. training their children. So that gives you a little overview of just some of the things that we do as a ministry. What's amazing, Ken, my, I was telling you, my husband and I had traveled and were able to see there. So if you haven't been there, it's way cool for your whole family to come. And like you said, to learn and talk about, you know, the Bible is true. And here's a whole bunch of things that you can debunk from the world. So we're going to talk more about that today. But hey, this is airing on Valentine's Day. So I have a question for you to, to tell us about your family you know, um, tell us, um, you know, how do you celebrate Valentine's Day, Ken? And, and maybe I'll put you on the spot with your with your wife. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. Uh, actually, um, we have five children and we have four of them that are married. And so we have 18 grandchildren and one great grandchild because we have two wow. of our grandchildren married now as well. So I guess that makes us officially old or something like that. <laughs> no, um, never. My wife, my wife and I in 2022, December 2022, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, uh, so, so we've been through a lot in, in uh, our lives, you know, in regard to the ministry in Australia and starting over here in America and building the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. But, you know, and I... Uh, first started going out uh, with my wife, Mally, when she was 17, I met her, actually. Oh. And uh, so this was a long time ago. And it, it was really funny because she gave me this card uh, when she was 17. I was 19. And it was a Valentine's Day card. And I looked at it and I said to her, what is this? Oh, no. <laughs> and, 
And she looked at me. I said, I don't even know what Valentine's, what is this? Valentine's card? What does it mean? So she then decided she wasn't going to give me a Valentine's card. And for years, we just didn't do anything with Valentine's Day. Was it cultural that like Australia doesn't, didn't have Valentine's Day? I don't know. I'd never heard of it really when I was growing up. More of an American thing? Yeah, it's probably more of an American thing. Of course, American things have become Australian things these days. But uh, back then, I just didn't know much about it at all. Well, actually, I knew zero about it. But anyway, a few years ago, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something special here. So it was Valentine's Day. So I went out, got a special card and uh, gave it uh, to my wife and said, here, does this make up for the time when I didn't know what it was? <laughs> uh, so I make sure I do something special for her, take her out for dinner or uh, something like that for Valentine's Day. But uh, I can say that uh, we don't need to uh, worry about loving each other because we love each other more than we've ever loved each other. And we've been married for 50 years and that love grows more every year. Yes. God helps that grow, doesn't he? And I mean, it's just so sweet and we love sweet things. Um, Well, I remind people that you need to make sure that you love the person Mm-hmm. You love the inside, not the outside. The outside changes with time, as you know. I warn guys about that. Uh, <laughs> but don't fall in love with the outside. You fall in love with the inside, right? Yes. And you actually choose to love the inside, and then you make that commitment before the Lord. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and the Lord being the uh, center of your marriage and the center of your relationship. We had Bible to school that you can tell the children we love teaching God's Word to kids. and you. I've fallen in love with teaching the gospel, as you just said, to and helping people defend their faith. And I just want to know, why did you decide to start Answers in Genesis? And uh, I want to get into an article that you wrote that just fascinated me. You know, it's interesting. As I was growing up, I had a father that uh, and mother that just loved God's word. And they stood in the authority of God's word. And my father hated compromise. He was always teaching us answers to the skeptical questions of the age, particularly from the the, the liberal theologians that were undermining uh, God's word. It's interesting that the topic of evolution came up. And, you know, the first time I ever heard of evolution was in the church, when the mm. pastor of the church were going to said, you can believe in evolution. My parents left that church, by the way, yeah. <laughs> and when they heard that. And that's when my father started to really explain to us that, you know, Genesis is the foundation for everything. And if, and also you're talking about biblical authority. And if you start to question God's word and, and you reinterpret it and take man's ideas and, and add it to the Bible, then you're undermining the authority of the word of God. And if Genesis is not true, neither is the rest of the Bible. And so, you know, I started to get interested in that particular topic. And then when I went to high school, was taught evolution. We didn't have all the scientific answers in those days. My father taught me the biblical answers, but he didn't have the scientific answers to the age of the earth or fossils or ape men or things like that. And so I went through university and in my fourth year of university, was able to find some books that had some of those scientific answers. And it was interesting. I started to read those. And then when I became a public school science teacher in 1975, uh, the first science lesson I taught, the students said, sir, we heard you're a Christian, but how can you be a Christian? We know the Bible's not true. And I said, why isn't the Bible true? Because of what we're taught in our textbooks about evolution and millions of years. And I realized that this was a big stumbling block to them. And so I started to teach them answers. And I could do that. I had the freedom to do that back then and teach them answers 
from God's word and showing them how to think correctly about science. I did something radical as an educator, by the way. I taught them how to think, not just what mm. to think. Oh, that's good. I think these days it's radical to teach someone how to think. And it's interesting, I taught them how to think about evidence and that all evidence is interpreted, interpreted upon the basis of the presuppositions you have that build your worldview and therefore you interpret evidence according to your worldview. And it was interesting, other teachers would come back and get mad at me because when they tried to teach them evolution or you know certain aspects of you know that particular worldview, they would come back and say, the students are saying, but you're interpreting that on the basis of your beliefs, and that's your interpretation. And it was the teachers that got mad at me because I was hmm. teaching students how to think, and so they were questioning the teachers. Let's talk about that biblical worldview. I mean, and you're teaching people to think. We want to teach our children to think. Can you define a biblical worldview for me? Well, you know, Corey. You know, as you get older, a lot of times you have to wear glasses and I'm wearing glasses because I need glasses to be able to see close up because your eyes start to fail a bit. But you know what? Everyone actually wears a pair of glasses. And so what I teach people is your worldview is really like a pair of glasses through which you look at the world. You look at everything. And your worldview is your way of thinking. See, where does your way of thinking come from? Do you pull it out of the air or where does it come from? No, you have certain beliefs, everyone has them, presuppositions that really determine their worldview or the pair of glasses that they have on. And in an ultimate sense, there are only two worldviews. There's a worldview based on man's word or a worldview based on God's word. See, a lot of Christians, they think biblical worldview means, oh, we, you know, we believe in God and we believe God's word and we believe, you know, the events in the Bible and so on. And for a lot of Christians, they they think by adding God into your thinking that that's a biblical worldview. But that's not true. But I would say that most people have a secular worldview and they and Christians, most Christians try to Christianize their secular worldview by adding God in. And that's mm. a problem. See, over the years, for instance, let me give a practical example. I've had Many people who say to me, well, how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? These are well-meaning Christians in our churches. How do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Or, or how do you fit all the death and suffering we see in the world with a loving God? How do you fit that into the Bible? Or, you know, how do you fit fossils into the Bible? And, you know, the first thing they need to understand is they're asking the wrong questions. You don't fit anything into the Bible. Now, people might get shocked when I say that and they say, now, listen to this. What you're doing is you're taking what you see in the world and a particular interpretation of it and saying, how do you fit that into the Bible? We need to understand what is the Bible. It's a revelation from God to us. God knows everything, infinite knowledge and wisdom. In Christ, he hid all the wisdom, treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as it says in Colossians. See, he knows everything. So God has given us a little bit of information from the infinite amount there is to know but for us to have the key information so that we can build the right way of thinking so that we can look at the world correctly. In other words, what I'm saying is our thinking has a foundation. Ultimately, there's two foundations. You start from God's word who knows everything, but there's mm. only one other alternative, man's word. Right. And so when you start from God's word, God has revealed certain aspects of history to us, that he created the world, that it was perfect, that there was that the first man, Adam and Eve, that, that he made, and the first man, Adam, rebelled, and sin came into the world, and death came in because of sin. So death wasn't in the world until after sin. 
Right. And mm-hmm. God gave them clothes, set up the sacrificial system. That's where the origin of clothing comes from. We're told about the promise of a savior in Genesis 3.15. We're, we're told about an event called the flood of Noah's day. There was a global flood. You'd expect to find fossils all over the world, and you do. We're told about an event called the Tower of Babel, which was after the flood, when God gave different languages, forming different people groups, not different races, because we all go back to Adam and Eve, so there's only one race. My point is that history, that's Genesis 1 to 11, that history is the foundational history in geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology, to enable you to build the right way of thinking about everything. And so think about dinosaurs for a moment. What are dinosaurs? Well, we found some bones in the 1800s of some land animals that had some unique features, and a man called Sir Richard Nowen invented the name dinosaur from two Greek words, dinosauria, means terrible lizard. And over time, we found more bones of creatures that sort of fit into this category. Right now, we'd say there's probably about 80 different types or kinds of, of dinosaurs. Okay, so then when Christians say, how do you fit that into the Bible? No, you don't do that. No. A dinosaur, the word dinosaur is a modern word invented in 1841. So the word dinosaur is not in the Bible, just like the word email is not because they're modern words. Right. And yeah. <laughs> uh, dinosaurs were land animals. Okay. When did God make all the land animals? Well, the Bible says on day six of creation. Okay. Then did he make the dinosaurs? And people say, but, but say, wait a minute. Think about it like this the word dinosaur refers to about 80 different types of land animals. So they're a subset of all the land animals that have existed on earth. So God made all the land animal kinds on day six. A subset of the land animal kinds would be what we today call dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. So yes, what we call dinosaurs, whatever you made on day six, did dinosaurs go on the ark? Well, representatives of every land dwelling, air breathing animal kind went on the ark. So the subset of all those land animal kinds would have been what we call dinosaurs. So about 80 kinds of them. So they would have been represented on Noah's Ark. So they all came off the Ark. What happened to those that didn't go on the Ark, drowned, many turned into fossils. That would explain why you find fossils of dinosaurs, for instance. And then over time, as they came out of the Ark, increased in number, moved over the earth, a lot of animals have become extinct because of lots of reasons. Climate change, (laughs) climate change (laughs) because of the flood, by the way. Uh, You've got to understand the flood to understand climate change. Maybe people killing them, maybe dying of diseases, killing each other, whatever. There's no mystery about it. In other words, once we start from God's word, we have a a whole way of thinking called a worldview that we take to the world. It's the same for death and suffering. You look at all the death and suffering in the world, but wait a minute, start from the Bible. There was no death and suffering to start with. Then we learn the death and suffering today is because man sinned. That's why Romans 8 says it's a groaning world. And so Then we understand, wait a minute, all this death and suffering, that's because of our sin. We're responsible for that. That's why God sent his son to suffer death, the penalty for sin, and conquer death, raised from the dead, to rescue us from what we did. And so it makes a big difference when you start from God's word to build your thinking. You see, we've grown up in this world. Most people have gone to public schools. They watch television. They've been affected by the secular world. So we all, I'd say all of us in various ways, think in a secular worldview, and we've got to retrain ourselves to think with a true biblical worldview, which means in every area, it doesn't matter what it is, in every subject area, you've got to learn to start from God's word to build the right way of thinking, to put on the right pair of glasses so that we look at this world correctly. 
Let's pause right now and take a question from one of our Bible to School kids. Who made God? What a great question. Who did make God? It's so interesting to discuss eternity with children as we do our best to convey what God has said about Himself in Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. God has no beginning and no end, and He has no creator. And our minds simply have a hard time fully comprehending that. Thankfully, we don't need to fully comprehend God's existence to know Him as our creator and provider. So my question then is, we're talking about Gen Z, which is ages 11 to 26. We deal with kids even small, younger than that. Do they hold a biblical worldview? What, do you, what are you seeing out there? Well, some of the latest research indicates that less than 9% of Generation Z go to church. Now, you go back to the 1700s and you find 70 to 80% of the population went to church. So we've had an incredible catastrophic generational loss. And Generation Z, George Barner, uh, Arizona Christian University, the Cultural Research Center there, he's done research and he made this statement. He said that Generation Z is the first truly post-Christian generation. Now, post-Christian means secular. It means they have a dominantly secular worldview. And it's interesting that I would say even those 9% that go to church of Generation Z, from our own experience, I, I would say, and, and other research that I've seen done, I would say the number that have a true biblical worldview, I personally would say it's a fraction of a percent. It's very, very small. I mean, some would say maybe 3%, something like that. But I think if you ask all the right questions, and a, a lot of the research that's done is not even asking the right questions in regard to Genesis, which is you know, you know, Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything. And I, I have found from our own experience, research that we have done, I would say the number that have a true Christian worldview is extremely small. It's, it's a fraction of a percent. You know, I have a, a, a person I know that works in an organization that does research in Christian schools, and their research indicates less than 6% of Christian schools actually teach worldview. Now, wow. again, I would say that if you really dealt with the Genesis 1 to 11 aspect, I would say that it's much less than 6%. In other words, most Christians and most churches don't teach biblical worldview. Most Christians have a secular worldview and they're sort of adding adding Christianity in at the top, if you like. And that's one of the problems. That's why that's why we have generations who don't know how to deal with the topic of marriage or gender or LGBT mm -hmm. or abortion, because they don't understand you've got to start from God's word to build the right way of thinking. Right, right. And Barna talks about syncretism. It's kind of putting a little bit of this and a little bit of that into making your own religion. Tell me about that. I mean, that that seems to be make people feel good because I I often hear that with adults that I talk to. Well, you know, we, we kind of believe that and we kind of believe this, but we don't believe that. What is your thoughts on that? Well, you know, syncretism and you know, a lot of people need to understand what that really means. For instance, you know, when I was in uh, Latin America speaking there, I found that there were many people that had adopted Catholicism and then mixed it in with voodoo. And mm. that's a form of syncretism because, you know, they they wanted certain aspects of, of the spirituality of uh, Catholicism, but then they were brought up with the voodoo religion. So they sort of mixed them together. 
today syncretism is rife in our churches because the majority of our Christian leaders and people in our churches have taken man's word in regard to millions of years or evolutionary ideas and then added that into the Bible and mixed it with God's word. It's a form of, of syncretism. And then we shouldn't be surprised when we find generations and saying, well, if you do that in Genesis and reinterpret Genesis, why not do that with marriage? And so we see today the culture is moving more and more to normalize gay marriage, normalize gender transition. Oh, well, why shouldn't we take that and add that into the Bible and mix it together? And, you know, because God has said that we have a conscience, we know what's right and what's wrong. He said he created us with the conscience. I mean, Romans 2 makes that very, very clear. And then that he's made it evident to all that he's the creator. That there's a spiritual aspect of man that you can't ignore because deep down we know. We know that God is creator. We know what's right and wrong. We have a sense of right and wrong. And man is crying out because we're different to the animals. We are beings who can think in an abstract way. And, and we cry right. out, well, who are we? What is life all about? That meaning and purpose. And so what yeah. has happened is we've had generations who've been indoctrinated against the Bible, and yet they've still got that that desire. Those questions, yeah. No, it's there. And so they're sort of ad adopting certain aspects of Christianity, but mixing it with the, the secular world and the secular worldview. And it's it's a total mess out there. And that's, oh. that's why they go after all sorts of things, whether it's witchcraft or or Satanism or whatever, because they, 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 they're they looking for something. For yeah, yeah, they're looking for something. We see that in Bible to School, in the public school Bible ministry that we do, that kids are asking, you know, who am I? Where'd I come from? What's my purpose? They ask the same questions that, like they, that they've asked for millions of years. But I tell you what, what I'm wondering is, we're telling all this downer stuff, but tell us, like, who's in charge of the, the children's worldview? Who can have the most influence on that? How can we change this? You know, people often ask me, how do I get to be the person I am, standing on God's word, uh, unashamedly, boldly, to do what we've done in, in forming the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, Creation Music, Mark Encounter? It's, it's because of my parents, because mm. our parents who love God, who, who taught us from the scriptures, taught us to stand. That's scriptural, because when you look at what the Bible says, children are in heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from the Lord to parents. They're entrusted to parents. The government yes. doesn't own our children. God owns them ultimately, but he entrusted them to parents to train. The government wants to take our children and take them away from us. And we even hear the president of the United States in recent times talking about that we own your children. You know, the teachers at the schools own your children. But you see, that's another aspect of what's happening here. If you look in uh, public schools, for instance, they buy and large throwing God out, Bible out, prayer out, creation out. So now they people think, so, you know, secular means neutral. The Bible says you're either for Christ or against. You walk in light or darkness. You gather yeah, or scatter. It's not so neutral, yeah. <laughs> there's no such thing as neutrality. And if they're not teaching what's for Christ, then it's against. And we've got to understand secular is a religion, right? It's a religion that puts their trust in man and not a trust mm -hmm. in God. And uh, so what are you going to do? Are you going to let the secular world impose the religion of secular humanism on your children? 
or are you going to do what God says? And like, you know, God instructed the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, you make sure you teach your children when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you sit down, in everything you do, teach your children, you know, train up your your children mm -hmm. in the knowledge of the Lord. Uh, we're, we're told, you know, Apostle Paul instructs parents to do that. The fathers to the children shall make known your truth. In fact, if you really want to understand this, I would encourage people to read Psalm 78, where it says, fathers teach your children, so they will teach their children. Fathers teach your children, so they'll teach their children. And then they'll teach their children. They'll right. teach the next generation that rise up. And then it has a warning. And don't be like the rebellious fathers that didn't teach their children. And if you want an example of that, when it's Joshua uh, crossed the uh, Jordan River, it was a miracle, took the people across, led them across. And then God told Joshua to take 12 stones. He got people to take 12 stones and build a memorial. So when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? You make sure you tell them. Don't yes. forget to pass it on to the next generation. And you know, it's interesting that when that generation that were with Joshua died, Joshua died, it says there arose another generation. That means their children and mm -hmm. they served Baal. They lost mm -hmm. it in one generation. In, in one generation. And it yeah. only takes one generation to right. lose that spiritual legacy if you don't pass it on to your children. Parents have to be intentional in doing that. Absolutely. And I love the way you talk about that your dad taught you to think. We're teaching our kids to think because I get that question all the time. Like, oh my gosh, you know, fear, fear, fear. You know, they're being indoctrinated, all that. However, light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. It does not overcome it. And so I, I look at that and try to really encourage parents. Like you said, they are in charge of their kids' worldview. And they are pouring that into them so that they can be a light. If you are in public school, uh, your kids are in public school, that is the positive that's going on. Because the word of God is more powerful than all of the secularism. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just something to embrace. And, and like you said, be very intentional about. I, I love that. And, and I love all the resources you have, Ken, for parents. We are definitely going to be putting those in our, in our show notes. Is there anything else you would like to share with a uh, like I said, moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles that are there, you know, the children, they're, they're influencing them. They're helping to shape their worldview. Any, anything else you'd like to share before we leave today? You know, Malachi 2.15, in Malachi, the prophet, in those days, there was a problem because the Israelite men were divorcing their wives, marrying pagans, destroying marriage, destroying the family. And then God asked a question through the prophet, why did God make two one? And it's a reference back to the one flesh when Eve was made from Adam. And it's really saying, why marriage? Really, why did God make family? What's a primary purpose? And then he gives the answer. And the answer is because he sought godly seed, not just seed, godly seed. And that should be a reminder to every one of us that we have an obligation before the Lord. And we're going to answer to the Lord one day for what we did in training the children he's entrusted to us and we need to be doing the best we can in the circumstances we're in to try to raise up godly seed who will then be able to go out and be witnesses for the lord jesus christ i mean that's what it's all about that's what the yes. family's all about that's why mm -hmm. there's such a war on children and a war on marriage because really it's a war on family and ultimately a war on god yeah. And as you look at what's happening with all the drag queen stuff and what's being taught in the schools and atheistic evolution and the anti-Christian sentiment that's 
that's growing out there? And and do you look at the gender transition stuff? Do you look at the LGBT worldview? It's all an attack on the family because the devil hates the family. And for parents and grandparents, remember this, the family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions which God ordained in Scripture. It is the educational unit of the nation. It is the unit God uses to transfer that spiritual legacy from one generation to the next. As fathers and mothers, he has instructed us on our roles, fathers as spiritual head of the house, to be able to make sure that we intentionally do our best diligently to transfer that spiritual legacy to the next generation. Amen, Ken. Excellently said. We really appreciate your time with us today. Would you mind ending us in prayer and praying over a positive influence that these listeners are going to have on children? I will. Let's pray. A gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we just come before you and acknowledge you for who you are, our Creator, our Savior. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, saving us, for providing uh, that uh, ultimate sacrifice in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can go to be with you forever. But Lord, we pray about what's happening in, in this nation right now, what's happening in families. And we see so many children who have been led astray and their hearts and minds are being captured by the evil one. And I just pray, Lord, for all the mums, dads, grandparents out there who are looking at their own children and grandchildren. And as we look at them, we realize we're looking at beings that are going to live forever, forever and ever and ever. And Lord, we want them to live forever with you, not uh, apart from you, not separated from you forever, but with you. So I pray that you'd help each one of us, Lord, to be able to be equipped, to be able to raise up these young people, to stand boldly on your word and unashamedly on your word. Help us to be obedient to your word and the roles that you have given to each one of us and to be equipped with all the necessary tools. Lord, what we're really doing is raising up soldiers for the king. We're helping put on that armor of God as the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians and help us to do our best to put that armor on our own children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren so that they will stand for you in this uh, pagan culture. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In summary, if we want the next generation to be God followers, standing firm on His Word without apology, we need to be intentionally teaching the kids in our lives how to do this very thing. I was really stunned to hear Ken share how many Christians actually have a secular worldview with Christianity just added in at the top. Well, I'm so glad for Ken's passion and his resources, which happen to be linked in our show notes. So be sure to check them out. You'll be excited to find many different articles available on the Answers in Genesis website that are super helpful for you in all seasons of child rearing. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, friend. And I will see you here next week as we talk about a topic we all need to hear, speaking the truth in love. Until then, remember, you can tell the children in your life about Jesus and the authority of his word.